Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. This little series, Empowered, and we kicked off last week talking about empowered to witness and what that looks like and what that means, and today we're continuing to talk about being empowered through worship. We're uh, sharing together from Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're thinking together in this series about Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. And we, we really uh, jumped around a little bit last week and uh, did a few translations. Here's from the New Living Translation. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And as we talked about that last week, and as I continue to think about it, my concern is not so much for how that works with the culture, but how it works inside the context of the church of Jesus Christ, where we are no longer tuning in to what God is doing, we run wild. But when we tune in and agree together to follow after this one thing, this one power, this source of all of life and all of wisdom and all of doctrine and all of teaching. So that Paul would say, there is one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit that inhabits us, one God, one Father who is over all and in us all. That vision of the unity of the body of Christ, I don't know how we would explain to the church fathers and to Jesus himself, the division within the context of the church. Why so many iterations of this gospel are necessary for us to somehow feel we have a place to belong. We don't belong to this church or that church or this denomination or that denomination. We belong to the Father. We are one family of faith underneath the God who loves us and whose spirit inhabits us. And what happens and why does the vision occur? Because when people move their focus from what God is doing over to this place, and I know they move it because they think God is telling them something, because they're defending something in the faith. But doesn't it seem like that the litmus test of all of Revelation is the idea that that the kingdom of God, when seeking to serve this one God, is brought together in unity? It's when someone takes the authority and says, I'm going to be the voice. It's my way of thinking and my way of teaching. That's the one. And I'm going to exclude all the others. I'm just going to talk about this. So we're thinking together about what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message translates Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. 
But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I think it's so important that we as Montrose Church are committed to this reality that we want to see what God is doing. We want more than anything else to look up and to seek. The question then that we're asking in this series is where will the church be in this messy, anxiety-ridden, angry, broken, divisive, misguided, fearful season? Where should it be? Where will you be? Where do you believe God is calling you to be? Acts 2 sets us right into the festival of Pentecost. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks. So a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, Matthew's introduction, and we talked about those 17 verses, and I, we talked about the seven sevenths and all that stuff, and you were all thinking I was talking numerology, and we were just doing a you know biblical theology, historical, critical piece of work on that passage. And so here's a really good example of a Jewish mindset, because what we're celebrating in Pentecost is the Feast of of weeks. Now, the word Pentecost literally means 50th. And so, when you think about it, what we're talking about the day of Pentecost is a celebration of the 50th day after Passover. Now, why is that significant? Well, here's the deal. It is the 50th day, which means there have been seven weeks of seven. It's called the Feast of Weeks because we have celebrated a full cycle of seven weeks. Seven weeks, seven being the perfect number in Scripture, often referred to uh, since the beginning of creation, the seventh became very important. Uh, the seventh is the Sabbath. All of those things are celebrated within the context. And so here at Pentecost, this celebration, the Feast of Weeks, is 50 days, seven weeks, 49 days, uh, and then on the 50th day, there's a celebration. Now, the celebration encompassed two things. It was a celebration of the early harvest. Obviously, we're in spring uh, and, and, uh, during Pentecost, uh, you know, 50 days past Passover. So the early harvest has happened already, the barley harvest, which was the first. So it is a feast of thanksgiving. It's a feast of celebration of the first fruits uh, of the cycle of the season, but it is also a commemoration of the giving of the law to Moses. And so these two things occurred in the Feast of Weeks. You know, the Passover is the Exodus. Passover is celebrated because the children of Israel are released from, from Egypt. And now, seven weeks later, uh, we're celebrating on Pentecost the giving of the law and the celebration of the first fruits. And so it's a, it, it, that's what's happening on this day of Pentecost and why they've all gotten together. And I think it's just the perfect setting to think about this. Uh, of course, it is the moment that we consider to be the birthday of the church. This is the moment that Jesus promised, go to Jerusalem and wait, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. We talked about it last week. And they scurried off. They ran off, walked over the day's journey to Jerusalem to wait upon this empowering of the Holy Spirit. It comes on the day of Pentecost. And it seems so appropriate on this day that is celebrating the old covenant <laughs> that we would be celebrating the new covenant. That this day that commemorated the law given to Moses, this, this old covenant that was, you know, led out of the redemptive moment and the deliverance of the children of Israel into this moment. Oh, now we've had this redemptive moment in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How appropriate that 50 days later we would be celebrating the gift of the new covenant. And so the content of this moment becomes incredibly important. This new covenant that was spoken about by Jesus and then continually is described. This is who we are. 
that, that the idea of the kingdom of God alive on earth has been talked about and philosophized and theologized by Jesus himself. And then he says, now it's time to no longer be thinking in your head. It's time to go get busy. It's time to implement the work in the real world. And this is the initiation of that work in the real world. So what did that new covenant look like? This is how Jesus talks about it, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so, so one aspect of this new covenant is the, is the presence of Christ's spirit within us living in us, animating us, leading us. In John 13, 34, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul writes extensively about the implementation of this kingdom and what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. You and I are unified together, not by our perspectives or our upbringing, not by where we come from. We are unified together because we are inhabited by one spirit. This common spirit that draws us together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is the new covenant, the new kingdom that is instigated and instituted and implemented on this day of Pentecost at this moment of the giving of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.11 so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I just think it's this fantastic vision of a unified body of believers who are shutting out the rhetoric, who are closing out the divisiveness, who have passionately committed to be joined together by one spirit and one faith in its simplicity. And that this 
word of love and language of love is binding in relationships. It's binding in how we think. It's binding in what we allow and what we reject. That's the new covenant that's celebrated on this day of Pentecost and the birthday of the church. And so the question lingers, where will the church be in these days? Where should it be? Where should you be as we all grow up into one head who is Christ? And this is a digression, but I think it needs to be said. There are way too many voices who speak for Christ who have taken the role of being the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. Not in this church and not in any other church. The pastor is an appointed person in the giftedness of the kingdom of God with a specific role to play. The the pastor is not the church. The pastor does not write the theology. The pastor is obedient to God, is obedient to Christ, who is the head of the church. We're all striving to be that. We're not striving to be the pastor's particular representation of the kingdom. And when the pastor usurps that authority and begins to speak as if everything he thinks and knows, everything she thinks and knows becomes then the very word of God. Listen, until God shows up in some audible place, some physical form and says to me, you better go say this, then we need to refer to the previous, be gentle. And be humble in heart. Because folks, whoever we are, pastor, teacher, Sunday school teacher, Bible study leader, we are not the head of the church. We are all fitting in. We are all fitting in. And one of the great measures of the church is unity, not divisiveness. I know some people say, well, the prophets weren't really loved. God was whispering in their ear. Well, Jesus was divisive. Jesus was the son of God. When, when those credentials become personal, when you feel confident that God has called you or me to go speak His truth into the world beyond what is contained in His Word, which clearly speaks to us about the unifying faith in which we belong, then maybe we should be more humble and careful and not step into that space that belongs to a very exclusive group of prophets who, by the way had their season. And the revelation of the prophets was usurped by the revelation of Christ who gave us the full picture of the Father. We didn't need to cryptically look through the eyes of the prophets, not through the kings, not through the narrative. We're told in the book of Hebrews, what fell short in all of that prophetic work, Jesus did in its fulfillment. We're not wondering anymore. We're invited to look and read and understand and follow the very life of Christ and the example He set for us. And so we live in this space. These folks on the day of Pentecost were being empowered through worship. Let me read the passage again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So these disciples were empowered to witness. They were empowered through moments of worship. 
They were empowered and, and, and delivered into these moments. They were seeking. They were trying to understand what God was doing. They were moving away from their previous stumbling. And, and they were intent on attending to what God had revealed. And they were, because of that, to be a blessing. And in turn, they were blessed. I think there are four elements that I see that are pretty specific in this process that I think we ought to talk about a little bit. Number one, they waited together. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I, I think it's been a little overused. So, uh, I, in fact, I can only imagine how many sermons have been preached during COVID-19 uh, where we can't be the church because we all can't be together in one place. Uh, given the fact that the early church didn't have a place and subsequent to the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, what's going to happen is the church is going to move into home churches, into small group fellowships. In fact, there'll be thousands and tens of thousands of these small bodies. So it, it's not about proximity. This being in one place, all together in one place, is not about literally a physical place because that's not what's going to happen in the church. That's not what's going to unfold in these coming pages. Secondly, it doesn't mean they all believe the same things. The people who were gathered in that room, they ranged from conservative Jews to pagan liberals. L liberals, progressives coming out of the pagan culture that is Greek. And so when we talk about Jews and Greeks, we're generally talking about people who adhere to the old Judaism system, the old conservative system of laws and rules and order and sacrifice. And then on the other side, when we talk about Gentiles, we're talking about people who are raised in a Hellenistic culture. Paganism is not an insult, it's a kind of religion. It's a religion that worships gods and goddesses and there's lots of caveats and there's lots of uh, things going on in the structure of paganism. And gathered in this room are people from these two very, very different perspectives about life and the world. So, so it's not about proximity to one another and it's not even about a shared mindset. In fact, what it seems to me, they were all together and they were all in one place. What it seems to me is what the Scripture wants you and I to really take away from this is that they were all gathered together to wait on God. That, that's what brought them together. They came together from all of their various places and perspectives. And this would mark the worship of the early church, that they would wait upon God. That what they would share in common is a humbleness, a humility that said, I'm showing up today to be a part of this worship experience in which I have one goal, I have one idea. I'm waiting on God to reveal Himself, to say something, to teach me, to grow me, to challenge me, to convict me. I'm not there to critique the worship songs. I'm not there to critique the pastor. I'm not there to, to talk about the people and what they wore. I, I'm there because we have collectively come together. We have become one people in one place. And the place that we are and the people that we are are people who are waiting on God. That's what we want to do. That's what we're committed to do. They all seem to have agreed together to look up, to wait, to allow the presence of God to lead them. Can you imagine a church like that? A church where every time we gather as the body or open our eyes to face another day or open up Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to make a post, that each of us simply have bowed our hearts and we've bowed our minds and we've bowed our spirits together in a place of waiting on God to speak and lead and empower and inform our choices. That's what they had in common. 
That's what one, one people in one place are about. And it doesn't matter if you're in one room or if you're in your house in your living room or if you're in 10,000 churches at home. It doesn't matter. As long as the spirit and the heart are that we have all tuned in together to wait upon God because there's just one God, there's just one faith, there's just one baptism, and this brings unity into the body of Christ. But there's more. Number two, what empowered, how they became empowered through worship is they waited on God. But number two, they heard from above. They heard from above. Suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they as they waited, they heard something. They heard from above. Specifically, they heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind, like a violent wind, and it's very specific. It came from heaven. They waited, and there was something to hear that was coming from above. Now, I'm pretty sure that's a rare occasion for us. I mean, I know that, that most of us, you know, we'd, in fact, we'd probably be super freaked out if there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. That, that would probably not bode well for us. But I think, though the rushing mighty wind might be rare, I do believe that God still speaks from above. I do believe that when we humble our hearts and quiet our hearts, when we look up expectantly, when we wait upon God, He speaks. In fact, He's faithful to speak into our hearts and into our minds. He allows us to hear but he only allows us to hear if we listen. Can I ask you a question? What percentage of your time in God's presence is spent simply listening in order to hear something from above? In order to hear something more than your own thoughts, than your own worries, than your own, your own issues, than your own anger, than your own fears, than your own ideas. They waited together and they heard from above. Something happened. That ought to be the real criteria of worship. That ought to be the heart and the soul of it. Not if we liked the music or the sermon or if it was our favorite song or if we thought the pastor was on or if he was off, if it was funny, if it was... That's not the criteria. Here's the criteria. Did we hear from above? Did God speak? Did something resonate in our soul that was otherworldly, that was countercultural? It doesn't have to be subversive and divisive in order to be countercultural. In fact, we're told that the love of God draws us together. They not only heard something, but listen to this, they saw something. I, I say they saw the diversity. <laughs> they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This has to be my favorite part. I, I, I mean... A, it's a little weird. I mean, I don't know what a, you know, tongues of fire, and I don't know what all that stuff looks like. I think I would be freaked out. It describes it as something that looked like fire came down. It came down into the room, and then it divided, and then little tongues of fire, little pieces of fire went and sat over everybody's head. That would be super weird. I mean, you would really know something was up. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about the story, 
You think about people being in the room. I think we sanitize and we just read a story like this and we're like, yeah, a bunch of things happen that are miracles and they don't ever happen anymore. But I, would, I just want you to kind of clear your head for a minute. I want to ask you this question. I want you to imagine, let's just start simple. I want you to imagine that you just have your family gathered in a room. And it could be your extended family. I mean, you know, you know, if you had a family reunion, you know the characters that would show up. And, and I wonder if the, if the ball of fire sort of descended... Do you, do you want, maybe this is just me, do you wonder where the little tongues of fire would go? Because it seems to me there's a piece of divine approval going on in that. I mean, if you were at work, wouldn't you love to know? I mean, wouldn't you love to be gathered with all those people with whom you work and see the ball of fire and, and see who got a tongue of fire and who didn't? <laughs> wouldn't that be telling Wouldn't that be something visual for you to hang on to? I'll tell you this. If I'd have been in the room, I would have been watching to see who got a tongue of fire and who didn't. Now, it says that everyone got one. And that in and of itself would have made me upset. I I mean, they not only heard from above, but they saw a vision of the diversity of the power of God present in their midst. This weird group of people. And I can only imagine that if I was in that room, I would have been sitting there going, oh, no, not them too. No, come on. Not that guy. I don't like that guy. Come on. Don't you think you would too? Don't you think at some level this early church was getting a lesson in diversity? Don't you think this early church was getting some lesson about the diverse places where people come from and the experiences and the walks of life and the ethnicities and all the crazy stuff that's going on? And right there, before they could even have the discussion about who was in and who was out and and what theology, they didn't even have the theology yet. They're going to debate that for weeks and months. As you read the book of Acts and you go to the Council of Jerusalem and and you've got Peter arguing about the Jewishness and you've got Paul defending the right of Gentiles to be Gentiles and Christians. They haven't figured it out yet. They're just entering into it. So at the birth point of the church... They are all together in one place, waiting upon God. It's the one thing they have. It's the one thing that brings them together, to wait humbly together on God and hear from above. And then they look around, and a visible representation that says, yep, them too, yep, them too. They're in, they're in, they're in. He's in, she's in. They're all in. (laughs) I, I, I bet you more than once there was an argument over at the church, and somebody said, hey, Don't treat me like that. My tongue of fire was just as good as your tongue of fire. I was included just as much in the gift of this Holy Spirit as you were. How quickly we divide. How quickly we look at others and try to decide who's right and who's wrong in a church where we are commanded to have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And we are all his children. But not only was there a visible representation. Number four. They were all given an appropriate language to speak. Verse four. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were diverse, but God gave them the appropriate language to speak. They were not, as the chapter continues to unfold, they were not all given the same language to speak, but the language each one needed in order to communicate clearly the gospel to those with whom they were making the journey. In fact, a little later in the chapter, it's going to say this, and each person heard the message in their own language. The part of the beauty of the diversity of that church is that they spilled out of that upper room and God enabled their language so that each of them could speak to their own context and their own culture. There was no church culture. There was just God enabling people to speak the truth of the gospel into the various cultures and lifestyles from which they had come. And we're told that these weren't unknown languages, but each heard in their own language, each heard in their own language, how desperately we need that in the life of the church. We're not the same. We gather in this place and some of us are older and some of us are younger and some of us are more conservative and some of us are more liberal. We gather around this one thing. We look up and wait and invite God to do something, to hear from heaven, to see how God pours out His Spirit on all kinds of people, people we wouldn't choose. But I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't choose me. And then those diverse people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered through this worship of looking it up and hearing and seeing the body of Christ, are given language with which to speak into the diverse places where they live and work, into ethnicities and, and cultures, young, old, people with old line kinds of values and structures, and people who are just as precious to God that are being born into a culture that doesn't have those kind of foundations and roots. And we, we are mature enough to know that we're all growing up into one head who is Christ, who is above all and in all and through all. Listen, worship is not about the style of music or the selection of songs. That, we've made it that. And we all have our preferences. Some of you got favorite song, you got a favorite hymn. I get it. I get it. But that's not really the point of worship. The point of worship is that we gather. Why do we even come together and use music? To get our minds, hearts, spirits centered so that we can look up. So that we can wait upon God. Because we recognize that coming out of the crazy culture and world in which we live, we need a little transition time to get our hearts ready. I wonder what would happen if each one of us said, you know what, it's a, it's a Sunday. And I'm going to get my heart ready to wait upon God. And I'm going to walk in and I'm going to go on the adventure. I wonder how God is going to meet me today 
through the prayerful preparation of this service, through the people who have been placed in those positions. I wonder how God is going to speak to me today through what is going to happen as God has been working, as this church, as this staff has humbled itself and sought, what do you want, God? What do you want to talk about? What do you want us to teach? How do you want us to lead? What do you want for us to do? What songs fit with this thing we're going to do? Oh, I don't know if that works. I'm struggling. I wish I understood. Help me understand. Open my heart. Open my eyes. Open my mind. I don't like that song, but maybe that's the right song. It's not about my personal preference. How do I pull that together? I wonder what would happen to a church that said, hey, I can't wait to see how God is going to speak in the middle of this. And we all come waiting And the criteria of worship is not about the music, it's not about the quality of the sermon, it's about hearing something from heaven. It's about hearing something from above. And it's about seeing how God works in the diverse nature of human beings. And they're included, and they're included, and they're included, and they're included, and they're included. And it's about going out empowered and equipped to speak the language of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the various places where we journey. And in case there's any confusion over this issue of the appropriate language, let me just remind you of this. The language of the kingdom of God is love. It is our command. A new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. It is absolutely our command. It is our worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We do not have another language to speak. Number three, it is our witness. By this will all people know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And I'm going to invite you as we close this service together and we think about what it means to be empowered through worship, I'm going to invite you to begin a waiting upon God. And we're going to sing that song again, Ever Be. And we're going to just linger and we're going to invite God to speak and hear from above. And we're going to allow His work to just sort sort of settle over us. And here's a question. In these divisive days of anger and politics and and, and so much hatred, who will the church be? Who should it be? Who should you be? I invite you to be empowered to witness through the gift of worship. God, would you help us? Even as we close out this conversation this morning, as we think about what it means to follow you, as we think about what it means to be together in one place in an attitude of waiting, may that be true of us. May that mark us as a congregation. No matter where we are, no matter what kind of structures we're worshiping within, we're waiting upon you, waiting upon you, waiting upon you, waiting upon you, humbly seeking you. We want to hear from above. We want to see how you work in the various diverse lives that are represented across the spectrum of the culture. How you lovingly allowed the fire to rest on each of them. We want to speak the language 
the language of those with whom we are making this journey, our children, our grandchildren, the people we work with. We want to learn to speak the language, and it is a language of love, a command to love, a worship of love, and a witness of love. It better mark everything about us. It better mark everything about us. By this will all people know that we are your disciples. By our love, one for another, for all, for everyone. Help us. Help us. We wait upon you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.